Happy Mother's Day. You guys are awesome. Yeah, praise the Lord. Not one of us would be here without one, right? And so if your mother never did anything else for you, she gave you life, right? And that's something that we can honor them for. You know, I've talked to you uh, the last couple years on a mother's legacy, and actually the Holy Ghost told me just it's a series, mother's legacy series. So in 2011, I talked to you about the legacy of the word, Proverbs 18, a good man, which the Hebrew means mankind, that's man or woman, leaves a good inheritance for his children's children. And that word inheritance means moral stability and goodness. I know all the kids are like, money, show me the money. No, that's moral stability and goodness, because if you have that, you can get your own money, right? Okay. So a good man leaves an inheritance, a good man or woman, a mode of action, a code of conduct mirroring the kingdom of God and his consecrated followers. So that's the heritage. That's the, le- the first legacy that we want to leave. And maybe you don't have children, you know, but either you have a mom or you are a mom, right? One or the other. If you're, if you're not a mom yet, you had a mom. But in today's society, we have a lot of grandparents raising grandchildren. And in the church, it's all of our responsibility. All of the women that are in the ministry of service, we, we mother the children. We raise them up in the admonition of the Lord in the children's ministry. And so maybe you have nieces and nephews. So you're going to play a role of a spiritual mother, whether you're a mother in the natural. So there isn't anybody that this message wouldn't apply to. So we're to leave them a code of conduct for them to follow. In 2012, I talked to you about a legacy of gratitude. Teaching your children, your grandchildren, or any children around you how to be thankful and grateful and the difference, that thankfulness was a state of the mind and the heart, a good feeling. You know, it kind of gave you the warm fuzzies, and and gratitude was very different than that. Gratitude required a mode of action that you had to teach your children. That means, by my hand, I will give a suitable benefit of return. See, gratitude is tangible. Gratitude benefits others where thankfulness sometimes just benefits you with the, with the warm fuzzies. So we need to teach children how to be grateful, especially in a society that has a sense of entitlement. And they're not, they're not thankful or grateful because they feel like you owe them. So we can clear that up, right, by the word. So in this year, the Lord, the Holy Ghost began to speak to me, and he didn't really tell, it, tell me on that it would be the Mother's Day message, but he said, the next message that you speak on, I want you to teach people how to follow. In the last few months, as I've been traveling and just noticing different things in the body of Christ and even different things, uh, needs in this church, and especially working with the training the ministry of service team, I thought, you know, for decades, I've attended seminars on leadership. You know, if you've ever worked in corporate, you're always in leadership. So they have tens of thousands of books on leadership, how to be a good leader, master leaders. They're they're endless. And the Holy Ghost said, have you ever seen a book on following? Actually, no. (laughs) Uh, Never heard of a seminar being advertised, probably because no one would want to go. And never heard a seminar on following. Never heard a sermon preached on following. And I began to notice that, that even in our ministry of service, the last exercise we had, this little game putting a puzzle, I recognized some very good leadership going amongst the ranks. But I noticed that no one was able to follow because they didn't even know how to recognize it. So you can be a master leader, but good leadership doesn't automatically produce good followership. And I think I had been under the assumption that people just knew how to follow. 
because I did, because my father was an outstanding example of leadership, and I just thought this must come to people by osmosis. But see, he just lived this life. It wasn't the things he said, most of the thing, things he did. So I had an outstanding example to follow, and I just followed. So it didn't occur to me that now in society, until I started to tune in, I thought, what are they teaching society? Okay, what does the TV say? Don't follow anybody. Follow your heart. Follow your bliss. Follow yourself. Make your own decisions. Humanism, you're your own God. So not only are we not teaching how to follow, we're teaching them actually not to follow. But what did Jesus say? Follow me. So he's like, they don't know how. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I see the problem. You know, instead of getting mad at people, and he said, stop expecting them to know anymore. This generation, they don't know. They don't know they're not even churched. And so they weren't raised in church. They don't know. They don't know who to follow. They don't know how to follow because they're told not to. Is there a verse anywhere in the Bible that says follow your heart? Follow your bliss? Make your own decisions? Be your own God? Follow your peers? All that's unscriptural. All that's taught by the enemy. Those are lies. And actually people make this one of these statements all the time and it's completely unscriptural. God knows my heart. Show me that verse. It's not in there. David asked him twice, God, know my heart. But it doesn't say God, you know what God says he knows about you? He doesn't ever say he knows your heart. He says, I know your thoughts and I know your ways. And so he knows our ways. And so even a child, Proverbs says, is known by his ways. So our ways have not been ways of following. You know, the better you follow, the better you finish. So if you don't know how to follow, you're not even going to get to the finish line. <laughs> the better you follow, the better you will finish. And we have, we have uh, scriptural examples of that. So the Lord asked me to uh, talk to you about following. You know, Jesus was perfect in his leadership, was he not? And there was one time that everybody left him. So even perfected leadership will not produce good followership in and of itself, will it? And after three years of hundreds of thousands of people seeing him walk on water, raise the dead, taking five loaves and two fishes and feeding them personally, seeing and hearing only 120 people were in the, uh, left in the upper room. <laughs> and so perfect leadership doesn't produce good followership. So there's some principles we're missing, and to finish well, we're going to learn how to have to, to follow and follow well. So the Lord told me, next time you speak to them, start teaching them how to follow. So however long he keeps me on that journey, we'll just follow the Holy Ghost, right? So a legacy of following. I just assumed that people knew how to do these things. You know, your future is actually decided by who you choose to follow. The disciples' future was decided by who they chose to follow, was it not? What if they had chosen not to follow Christ? Because the disciples became the apostles. Their future was decided by who they choose to, chose to follow. Was Elisha's future decided by who he chose to follow? Yes. Was Joshua's future decided by who he chose to follow? They all finished well. But Judas's future was decided by who he chose to follow. He finished poorly. The rich young ruler's future was decided by who he chose to follow. He followed himself. He finished poorly but Jesus followed who his father and he followed it perfectly he finished well didn't he so your future is decided by who you choose to follow the better you follow the better you'll finish
Who do we follow? Okay, if we're supposed to follow who? Who should we follow first? Christ. So turn with me in your weapons manual to Matthew 419. You can't teach what you haven't learned, right? Good leader has to be first a good follower. So we'll learn how to follow, and then we can teach all those around us how to follow. Didn't Paul even say that? Follow me as I follow Christ. Amen. Matthew 419 in the King James, he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That word in the Greek, Katie Bug, come here. This is my daughter. <laughs> so when he said, Jesus said, he, basically this is what he did. He said, come here, follow me. So it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to lecture you, and I want you to get it intellectually, and I want you to do everything I tell you. No, he said, come here. So he said, follow me. And then that in the Greek actually meant direction, get back behind me and follow me. And then it said he, they were to accompany him in all his ways. So wherever he went, they were to follow him. His mode of action, his mode of speech, his mode of conduct. They were to stay in step. They were to come with him, and they were to follow him. Everything he did and everything he said. So in the, those verses, thank you, Katie, in the Greek, when he says, follow me, that's what he meant. Now, every time he repeats that phrase through the rest of the New Testament, it's the same Greek reference, G190. It's that same following. It's not the same thing as when he says, signs and wonders follow them. That's a thing. When Jesus talked about the following, the human connection of following, he said, that's, he said come here get behind me and do it exactly. It actually says to follow in my treads. I'm going to make tracks and just step in them. So that, because, why? He wanted us to finish well. He wanted us to stay right next to him so we didn't miss anything he said, miss anything he did, and we could just repeat it and we could succeed. Also, the closer we were to him, the farther we were from the enemy, right? And so if you're going to follow well, you're going to have to follow closely. You're going to have to actually follow exactly in the footsteps. But the good news is, is he's going to make the footsteps. Do you need to cut your own path? Be your own person? Make your own decisions? Be alone? Read? Blowing in the sands of commerce? No. <laughs> you need to follow. You've got to get behind him to follow him. So he's going to lead and you're going to follow. Jesus said in Matthew 8.22, he was telling the young man, follow me. When he said, let me go first and do this, let me go bury my father. And that was not a literal translation. That was a figurative because the dead bury the dead in Jewish tradition immediately. So he wouldn't have been in, out in the crowd talking to Jesus if he had a, a relative to bury. So he was speaking figuratively. And that's why Jesus said, let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead. Because he was saying, basically, my father is older and I want to be around when he passes. So Jesus was addressing his choices. You going to follow me or are you going to follow yourself? Let them deal with that. You come. Your, your job is to follow me. And so I don't know. The Bible doesn't say whether he made that choice. And he followed. He was one of many disciples. The Bible doesn't name him. So follow me mean, is going to mean this in the Greek translation. So this is what your life is going to look like. They must separate themselves to a diligent attendance on him. Set themselves to a humble imitation of him. Must follow him as their leader. Those whom Christ employs in any service for him must first be fitted and qualify for it. Oh, that's the part we all want to skip. <laughs> Darn it. 
oh, I got to qualify. No, I just want to just sign me up. I'm good. I'm good. I can do it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Those who would preach Christ must first learn of Christ. If we do not know him well ourselves, how can we expect to bring others to the knowledge of him? Those who would get an acquaintance with Christ must be diligent and constant in their attendance on him. You ever know people just want to be around somebody famous? They just want to say, yeah, I'm, I'm in the posse. I'm in, I'm in the cool crowd. I hang with so-and-so. But they don't give their diligent attendance and service on that person. So they're not, up, they're not, they're not following. That their motives aren't right. The apostles were prepared for their work by accompanying Christ all the time that he went in, out, in and out among them. And I teach th this in Bible school. People be like, well, they only had to go to Bible school for three years, you know, and they were good. Yeah, well, they were with Jesus seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and that was 18,000 hours. So how long will it take us if we go to Bible school five times a week or three hours a week? How many, how many years? It was 18 point something years. So as soon as you've been in Bible school 18 point something years, maybe you could wonder. <laughs> but until then, let's just keep on barreling. There is no learning comparable to that which is got by following Christ. Joshua, by ministering to Moses, is fitted to be his successor. So how did Joshua become a leader? By being a good follower. And how long did it take him to learn that? 40. Yeah, Joshua was 40 when he started following and serving and giving diligent attendance. He would not leave Moses aside. He was 80 when the leadership fell to him. 80. Elijah, uh, Elisha served Elijah 20 years. So 20 years. And these were great men of God with great signs and wonders. So um, I'm still working on that myself. Matthew 16, 24. So those who would follow Christ right must leave all. And so that's something I think we struggle with. We want to kind of half follow. We want to follow when it fits in our schedule, when we can afford it. We want to go on the missions trip when it's convenient. How about when it's just easy? Or how about we'll follow in that arena if we think we enjoy that activity? So following him means that you're going to leave all, and you're going to say, with it, no matter where he goes, whether it's Honduras or whether it's Haiti or to the car wash next weekend, you know, we're going to follow because we're going to follow well. Wherever he goes, that's where we're going to go, whether we in think we'd enjoy it or be good at it or we find it easy or convenient. It's never convenient to be standing in a shower overseas with water backed up to your knees from God knows where. <laughs> that is never easy. I do think often maybe I should develop faith for walking on water. I don't need to walk on the pool. Like I just would like to walk on the water in the tub overseas so that uh, I'm on top of it. And it's not on top of me. <laughs> just one of those fun little things you can ponder in your 30-second shower you got. Matthew 16, 24. Christ having shown his disciples that he must suffer, that he was ready and willing to suffer, here shows them that they must suffer too. That's what Jason was talking about. To follow Christ, you're going to have trials. He said you're going to fall into them, and we, we keep trying to figure out how not to fall into them. Maybe we should just not waste our energy on that. <laughs> Jesus said these things are going to come, 
So stop making effort to try to get them to stop coming. Make the effort for how we're to respond when they do come. That's what he was trying to show the disciples. Look, I'm going to get beaten. You're going to get stoned. Most of you are going to die for the sake of the gospel. I just want you to work on how to respond when you're in that situation and stop trying to avoid that. But most of us spend all of our time avoiding trial, so therefore we never actually find ourselves following Christ. And we, th- we deceive ourselves because we listen to the deceiver say, if we have any trial or hardship, <gasps> I must have missed God. I can't be God for me not to have money to pay my bills or me to have to believe God for a house and, and be in my in-law's house. What's the first thought that would come to your mind if you were in Jason's shoes? You had moved from another state and come here and hardship had hit you. Things didn't work out like you thought they should because you, you were supposed to put your money in the slot sheen of tithe and offering and get the three cherries, right? And everything was supposed to cha-ching, work out perfectly. We had a job making less money, and he was in the perfect will of God. Uh-oh. <laughs> Nobody told me about that in Bible school. <laughs> now what do I do? Yeah. So you're going to suffer some trials and tribulations, and that's when you realize, oh, I thought I had faith, but I don't know what I was doing before, but now let me hurry up and figure out what that really looks like. That following, that following through the trials and following through suffering and pain and hardship. Here's the law of discipleship laid down and the terms fixed upon which we may have the honor and benefit of it. He said this to his disciples, not only that they might instruct others concerning it, but that by this rule they might examine their own security. They must suffer and must be ready and willing A true disciple of Christ is one that follows him in duty and shall follow him to glory. He is one that comes after Christ, not one that prescribes him, precedes him. So many times we want to get in front of of God. We want to lead God. God, this seems like a good place. Don't you like this? Let's go here. Let's do that. This looks like fun. We're trying to lead God in his decisions and lead the Holy Ghost because it seems good to us. And we have to, what did Jesus say? Follow me get behind me, get right behind my back and follow me. So we can't be out in front of him. Peter undertook and forgot his place. A disciple of Christ comes after him and the sheep after the shepherd, the servant after his master, the soldiers after their captain. He is one that aims at the same end that Christ aimed at the glory of God and the glory of heaven, and one that walks in the same way as he walked in, led by his spirit, treads in his steps, submits to his conduct, and follows the lamb wherever he goes. How many of you have ever found yourself leading the Holy Ghost? Maybe he gave you instruction, and he, you took off, you were so excited, and you found yourself out in front of God. You're like, he's like, um, <clears throat> was it finished? Yeah, <laughs> but you were so excited to like hear an instruction. You took off to, okay, God, I got this. Yeah, he finally picked me. And he's like, wait, yeah, okay, I, they'll be back. Yeah, <laughs> and when you came back, he was right there ready to finish the other half of the sentence. If you gotten the second part of the sentence, you would have been like, oh, <laughs> yeah, well, now that, now that I hear the second half of that, I see I was completely in the wrong direction if I had just l- slowed down. Now, some people, that's some people's personality. That's mine. Other people, you got to put a stick of dynamite under them to get them going, right? <laughs> and so God's like, yeah, I'm finished. Go. <laughs> ready, set, go. And so it's it, not, not wrong, just different, right? So let him deny himself. Peter advised Christ to spare himself 
But Christ tells them all, you must be far from sparing yourself. You must deny yourself. Isn't this exciting? <laughs> like, wow, this is a great Mother's Day message. No, it really is. Because, um, you know, you are leaving a legacy, whether you know it or not. Here's the awesome news. You get to choose the legacy you're leaving. Every human being is leaving a legacy. Somebody's watching you. Like, like Jay said, maybe you're just leading your dog. You know, for a walk, that's, that's all you're called to do. Maybe you're just leading your family. Maybe you're just leading yourself. I call that self-governing. That, that's a great place to start. A lot of people, they, they never succeed at that. They'll go all their lives. They never succeed at just leading themselves in the right direction to follow God. But you're, people are watching you. You're leaving a legacy. And so it's better just to choose the legacy that you want to leave so that there's an inheritance left behind you when you get to heaven and the things that you did aren't consumed because they weren't for God that you have something left. You left a legacy behind and you paid it forward. So who else? So we know we'd have to follow Christ, number one, right? And he told us how. So he always makes it easy. Come follow me and this is how you do it. He's real simple. So who else did he tell us to follow after he left the earth besides the Holy Ghost? Everything on earth is done through what? Men. So he left godly authority. He left the apostles, did he not? Paul had to set up church government. So he, he instituted author godly authority in the earth so that people would be trained and they would learn how to follow. Isn't that how the military works? You go into military in boot camp as a private and you have a sergeant over you that's training you the same way he was trained. The kingdom of God is like that because that is like the kingdom of God. Everything on the earth is a mere reflection of those things in heaven. So we have to know that we're supposed to follow godly authority and all of society is telling you not to follow anybody but yourself. Well, how's that working out for you? <laughs> not getting real far, right? Kind of going in circles and then kind of <laughs> down the tub, <laughs> down the toilet. So we have to follow godly authority. You know, Jesus, when he spoke to the centurion, you cannot be in authority unless you were first under authority. The first thing the centurion said to him, and I think most people don't read that, he said, I am a man under authority. He didn't come to him. He, was a, he had a lot of authority. He was probably what, you, what would you call in, in, in the army? What's uh, not a general? What's under a general? Captain? Colonel. colonel. Okay. So he, the, the Bible speaks that he was about the rank of a, of a colonel. And he didn't say, I'm a man in authority. I'm a colonel. What was the first thing he said to Jesus? I'm a man under authority. See, someone in authority understands the greater authority they're in, the more authority they're under. So don't covet authority because generally that kind of person doesn't like to be told what to do. The more authority I have, the more people I have telling me what to do. And some people don't like one person telling them what to do. So the first thing he said is, I'm, I'm a man under authority. You cannot be in authority unless you can submit under authority. So here's what you have to ask yourself. Is the word of God your final authority in all matters? Does your commitment to Christ surpass all people, including yourself? In other words, will you choose God over yourself? Because sometimes it just comes down to you and him. You're like, yeah, I'll choose God. I'll do the right thing for other people. How about choosing him over you? That's a little hard, huh? Do you seek to daily grow and change? Do you daily seek his pleasure and perfect will? Will I choose God over myself? So the Psalm 1, 2 through 3, New Living Translation says, the environment I accept determines the person I become. And that's another thing in society we don't want to believe. I can do wherever, go wherever, hang around whoever, work wherever, and because I have been taught, 
humanism, and I believe it, that I am my own God, my own person, and make my own decisions, that I rule my own universe. So it doesn't matter where I take myself, who I work for, who my friends are, and where I go, it will not affect me because I am God. But that's not what the Bible says. It says the environment I accept will determine the person I become. That's the exact opposite. Everything around you is shaping you. You are not shaping it. It will shape you. And to believe the other is to believe the lies of the enemy because God's word is true. It's the only thing that is infallible. It's the only thing we have that is truth, that we can trust in. Proverbs 3, unstable is the life that is built upon self-reliance. That's another thing that young people are taught. You can't count on anybody. You need to just count on yourself. You need to be self-reliant. You can't trust anybody. Proverbs says unstable is the life that is built upon self-reliance. And so I know that, that people have done things to, to you feel hurt, and it's hard to trust. But you know what? Not trusting the right people in your life will cost you far more than ever trusting the wrong people. But because you got hurt when you were trusting the wrong people, you now have walls that prevent you from trusting right people, and those are the very people that take you into your future. But now you can't trust them because you won't allow yourself. See, you see the device of the enemy, how he works? That's why you don't need to be concerned about that you got hurt. Well, you're in good company. They did it to Jesus. You're going to have trials. You're going to have persecutions. You're going to have your feelings hurt. You're going to have your toes stepped on. But he told us how to walk on. A man who walks with God holds very little opinion. That's found in Luke 2 and 1 Corinthians 4. People are so opinionated. I am shocked at their opinions and how free they are with them on Facebook. Opinions about things which are none of their business that far surpass what used to be called the Emily Post Book of Etiquette Good Manners, which will be in all of my grandchildren's Christmas stockings and will be our bedtime reading. Um, because manners, <laughs> do you know that, they, that now they actually teach etiquette classes to people that have graduated from college in Asia? It's huge, and they, they charge $4,000 for etiquette classes, thinking about um, teaching some for the next crusade over there in Asia. Yeah, things that, that were normal to us, that our parents taught us, that you don't, you don't be on your phone at the table. You don't chew gum. You don't wear hats, you know, whatever. Just basic manners. You write thank you notes. When people, look at you, when people speak to you, look them in the eye. You have manners. That's gone. Everybody's in their phone. They think it's okay to be on their phone at the dinner table, you know, with other people, just all sorts of things. So one thing we, we can do is we'll start teaching the Emily Post Book of Etiquette. But opinions, you can't walk close to God and hold opinions. If you have any opinions outside of the word of God, you just need to get rid of them. Not that I don't have an opinion uh, about a lipstick color or whatever. I don't mean that. Yeah, I have an opinion about whether I like that or don't. But anything that's outside of the word of God, I don't have an opinion on that. People ask, what do you think about that? Well, let's find out what God thinks. Because whatever God thinks, that's what I think. Whatever he feels, that's what we feel, right? So if you're going to walk close to God, you're going to follow well so you can finish well. You can't hold all these opinions. And don't even, don't even keep them to yourself. Just get rid of them. Amen? The outcome of your life is completely dependent upon the quality of relationships you pursue. That's in 2 Kings, Exodus 33, and Joshua 1. The outcome of your life is completely dependent upon the quality, not quantity, <laughs> of relationships you pursue. Fifty people are not your friends. 
There are 3,000 people on my Facebook and they're called friends. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> it's not possible. I think I have three in real life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That, that, that word is used very loosely and inappropriately, is it not? Those are acquaintances. <laughs> A lot of them I've never even seen. I don't even know them. Wouldn't recognize them. Don't know them. I'm like, who is that? You know, it's not that they've been all over the world or whatever, but maybe they know you, but you don't know them. So I just think that's funny that it says friends. That's just another example of how loose our society has become and how casual and flippant. Not, fo not following well, right? But we're going to be good followers. You become a leader by learning to follow God and your leaders, right? Joshua followed God, but he also followed Moses. Elisha, Elisha, Jesus, the disciples. But Timothy followed God, but he also followed Paul, did he not? And so following in the New Testament, godly authority is good and right and scriptural. And here's, these are some of the ways you know godly authority. A good mentor will strengthen your dependence on God, your interdependence on each other, and your independence from sin. That's the job of, of a mentor. People don't even understand the difference between independence, interdependence, and codependence. You're taught in our society two things, to be independent, I'm my own person, I'm my own God, or a codependent relationship, I'm joined at the hip and I can't function without you. That's sick. The only person you should be codependent on is the Holy Ghost and the inside of you. So, but God wants an interdependence. What is not in my heart is in the heart of another. I have to learn to have unit. It's called unity in the Bible and work with other people. So I don't, I don't ha I'm not supposed to possess all the gift and talent. I call it, corporate, we call it staffing our weaknesses. So the people around me are all completely different. My friends all have completely different personalities. I, I get sick of myself. I don't want anybody else like me around me. I mean, <laughs> people have all these people that are just like me. I like them. Oh, if you're just like me, it's like, get away from me. I'm not going to like you either. <laughs> and so the people that around your life are very, very important a mentor is going to help you understand how to be interdependent. Interdependence is not a natural skill anymore. People are either independent or codependent. They don't know how to be interdependent. They don't know how to have a reciprocal, I'm investing in this relationship, and you're investing back, and it's for the purpose of building the kingdom. We're all bringing our part to the table. I'm not supposed to have your part, and you're not supposed to have mine. We're not in competition with each other, Right? We're, we're running our race together. We're strengthening each other. So a good mentor is going to strengthen your dependence on God, your interdependence on others. They're going to teach you that relationship and your independence from sin. You need, to be in, and you need to have to learn to be independent from sin. These things are taught. They can be taught because Jesus taught them. Now, just because someone's teaching them doesn't mean someone's accepting the instruction, though. So you have to learn how to receive that instruction and follow. A good mentor will help you find your strengths and crush your weaknesses, all with a little humor and love. Little. <laughs> your mentor is not your friend. That's a mistake most people make. Your mentor is not your friend. Your friends are comfortable with your weaknesses. They love you just the way you are, like your mama. <laughs> God loves you too much to let you stay that way. Your mentor is sent to you to help you crush your weaknesses. They, a friend cannot be that. Because a friend won't, won't, won't tell you when, you know, you're smoking your own dope, right? Good, good, good friends sometimes will. But so don't, con don't try to make a mentor a friend. They are there to help you crush your weaknesses. And you know what? That sometimes involves 
a little bit of hurt feelings, a little bit of stepped on toes, right? Because their job is to bring you forward, not to make you feel good about yourself where you're at. They bring you forward, and sometimes that's, that's very painful. How do you follow godly authority? Many are called and few are chosen, Matthew 22. Why? Why did Jesus say many are called? So when people come up to me over 20 years, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called, I'm called. Take your hand, pat yourself on the back. <laughs> many are called. That's, I'm gl- glad that you have discovered that. But what I want to know is do you know how to qualify to choose to be chosen? Because unless you qualify to be chosen, you'll never fulfill that call. So recognizing the call was just you got up to bat. That's not even first base. Okay, great. I'm glad you picked up the bat, got out there in the field. Now you know, you're willing to hit the ball. But that's, it leaves you right there. So if many are called, few are chosen, it's because they refuse to qualify to be chosen. And that qualification process is in the better you follow, the better you finish. So you have to be willing to be a good follower. Three things, and this goes way back in the Old Testament. Jethro told Moses to look for these three things. And this, just because it's Old Testament doesn't mean it doesn't apply today. But this is the first example of what he said. Look out amongst all these followers, and this is how you choose followers to become leaders. Three things. He said, you're looking for men who fear God. And this is mankind, men or women. Men who fear God. That means men that have reverence and respect for God. We have an irreverent and disrespectful society. We're in the minus category on the reverence and respect. So to find this today (laughs) is the verse that says, a faithful man who can find. I'd have to say only the Holy Ghost. The eyes that run to and fro across the whole earth looking for this kind of person. But you know what? All you have to do is say, I choose I want to qualify. What do I need to do to qualify? Put me in the class. Sign me up. Send me to boot camp. Men who fear God, that have respect and reverence for God, God's people, and his house. He said the second thing you need to look for them is men of truth. They keep their word. Could you count on one hand the people you can say that you know personally keep their word to their own hurt? This is who we're looking for. This is who we are, right? Men who hate coveting. He says the third qualification. They have to hate coveting. They have to hate coveting things, and they'll hate coveting position. They are men who are looking to serve, not to be looking to promote it out of serving. They are not looking to serve as a stepping stone. So those were three things that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, told him to look for. And thank God, Moses was leading two million people, but Moses was the very best follower. He could not only follow God, he could follow his father-in-law. And he, and he said, yes, sir. And so he looked, and actually he chose, and they, they ended up over thousands and hundreds and, and fifties and tens based on their ability, and he began to train them. But you're going to find some hindrances to following, and you need to know what they are. One of them is that you get in the rut of your preference. If you get yourself in the rut of your preference, oh, uh, you know, I only like to go to church when so-and-so speaks. You know, I like teaching. I don't like preaching. I don't really like teaching. That's boring. I like preaching. Or I don't care for worship, so I come after the worship service. Or I like to go down to this seminar and hear that because I prefer that. If you start getting yourself in the rut of what you prefer, you're not going to follow. If God sends it, we prefer it. If our pastor chooses the person to speak, we, that's what we prefer, right? Because we prefer whatever food that God is serving up. It doesn't matter the package it comes in or the personality it comes in. Don't get in the rut of your preference. It will stop you from following. God, did God send it? Did God choose it? That's what I prefer, right? That's what you prefer. 
When you increase yourself, you steal from an area of your life to give to another. So this will hinder your following. This is an example. He will say, God really blessed me with this new house or this new car or whatever, but now I've got to work 80 hours to pay for it. So when you increase yourself, you had to steal from another area of your life to cover that. But when, so I can't serve anymore. I've got to get off the ministry of service team. I'm just too busy. I've got other things to do. Can't be down there at prayer. Can't be down there at life group. See, when you increase yourself, you have to steal from an, one, an area to cover another area. But when God increases you, it will not interfere with the local church. It will bless the local church. You'll have more time. So Jason said he was using his faith. He's using his faith to serve more, not less. Lord, I want to be in your house more. I want to serve more. I want to do more. If you're blessing me, you're going to take care of my business because I want to take care of your business. That's the business I want to be about is my father's business. I'm not saying it's wrong to work and have a career. That's very, very important to support the gospel. But if you begin to increase yourself to pay for all these things that people are confused about needs and wants, um, an iPhone is not a need. Neither is an iPad. Neither is Starbucks. <laughs> we're very confused between actually luxuries. They're not even ones. They're in the luxury category. And needs. I need cable. Really? I don't have it. I, 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 am I okay? Do I look all right to you? Yeah. Uh, I have Starbucks maybe once a month. Do I look all right? Am I doing okay? Yeah. Do I, do I look pale, pasty, withdrawals? Yeah. They're not needs. They're wants. And so we, we say, well, we need that. So we need to work more. We need to obtain more. Those aren't needs. Maybe you don't need that second car so that mama can stay home with the kids. To, so don't increase yourself at the expense of being able to follow. Watch that. That's not the blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. It's a sorrowful thing if you spend less time with your family and less time with God, right? So watch. Those, these are, I'm talking about things that will hinder you from being a good follower. Just like financial poverty will hold a person back from fulfilling whatever God's called them to, a poverty of excellence in your life. The excellent person never says the phrase, oh, that's good enough. That, that's not in their, vo their vocabulary. So if you have a poverty of excellence in your life, that you're kind of what I call a slamma and jamma kind of thing, and you're like, that's good enough, you will never be able to fulfill what God has asked you to do because there's a poverty of excellence in your life, and you're not going to follow. Remember, it's the better you follow, the better you finish. You have to follow with excellence. Success is summoned to our life the moment we give attention to detail. People don't want to pay attention to the detail. They want to hurry. I used to teach my staff accuracy before speed. So young people want to hurry. They want to get everything done. Okay, I'm done. Give me the next thing. Really? <laughs> that doesn't look done to me. Or it wasn't done right. Go back and do it again. Accuracy needs to take place in our life before speed, but we're in such a hurry. And so that's a trap. So a person of excellence is a person of compliance. People find it difficult to comply with heaven's wishes and difficult to comply with godly authority. But, well, I'll do whatever God tells me to do. God just speaks to you special, right? <laughs> he appears to you like Moses face to face, and, and no, it doesn't ever come through a man. Like your boss is not authority. Your mama and your daddy, they can't tell you what to do either, right? Nobody can tell you what to do. Success is summoned to our life the moment we start to give attention to details. Uh, I'll give you an ex example just when I was in the cosmetology field. I try not to use too many examples from ministry because it hurts people's feelings. So I, I'll, I go back a little bit. And uh, when I was teaching uh, hair, they would, I, I love to use the razor when I cut, and they would say, teach me how to use the razor when you master the scissors. 
teach you how to use a razor <laughs> so you don't cut somebody's ear off. No, and so that's what we are. We're juvenile. Oh, the daddy, uh, let me do that. I want to do that. We get good at what you're doing. Well, I don't want to do that. I, don't <laughs> I am good at it. No, you're not. <laughs> Lack of excellence. Do what you're doing well and stop asking to do something else because you're bored. Well, I've already done that. Maybe the reason you're still doing it is because you've never decided to get good at it. People say, well, I'm not good at it. How about just get good at it? How about do it 500 times till you're good at it? Teach yourself how to be good at it. Bring to it like this toilet is Jesus' toilet. How would you clean it? But if it's your mama's toilet, you're like out of there in five seconds. Mama, the toilet's clean. Okay, I'm going to serve your dinner on it. Clean? Oh, well, Okay. Okay, I guess I'll see you in another 30 minutes, right? <laughs> clean. <laughs> there's a, there's a, that's where we're eating dinner tonight. Yeah. My room's clean. Okay, we're having a picnic on your floor. <laughs> so you need to, ma and they'd want to cut, you know, they want to be in, uh, we call it preclinic, where you work on mannequins. When am I going to get to cut somebody's hair? When you cut that mannequin's hair right, and don't jack that up. You, somebody gonna, you think somebody's going to pay you for that? They're going to sue you. <laughs> They're going to want money. They're going to want some money from me. So until you can cut that mannequin right with those scissors, you're not cutting a person and you're not getting a razor. So accuracy before speed. Another thing that will hinder you from following well is you look for your problems to be solved all the time by other people instead of being a problem solver. You have to be a problem solver. If you look for problems to solve, your problems will be solved automatically. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. Anybody ever heard of it? Okay. Solve somebody else's problem and God will solve your problem. Lots of times I have problems I don't know how to solve. I'm like, Lord, I don't know how to solve that. Okay. And I go to him and I ask him and then I put it on the back burner if I don't get an immediate answer. And I go about the business of solving other people's problems, namely predominantly my husband's. And then God, because that's who I'm called to. He's the pastor of the church. So with that church came lots of problems to solve. He doesn't have problems. He has problems added to him that came from other people. And so I uh, go out the business and in that action, always, 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 always are my problems solved. The Holy Ghost will bring it to me when I'm in the middle of solving. That's why I have pads of paper everywhere. People think I'm making a grocery list. I have no plans to go to the grocery store. <laughs> So I'm absolutely forced. No, I'm writing things down. The Holy Ghost gives me things. When I'm in the middle of serving, he gives me information on how to solve those problems because he's so faithful. So let me read it to you like this. Someday you'll believe someone, and that day will decide what you will become for the rest of your life. Who you have decided to be, every word you have ever heard will grow like a seed over time. They will either set you free or enslave your mind. Tomorrow has been decided, your future and what will be. You created all your tomorrows when you decided who you would believe. So mother's legacy, we're leaving one. The good news is you get to choose what you want to leave to your children and your children's children or your spiritual children. Leave a legacy of following Christ. Leave them a godly heritage. Teach them how to follow godly authority. Not to be renegades, not to be rebels and islands unto themselves and their own gods who make their own decisions. Teach them how to follow Christ, his word, and godly authority. And that's, that's to all of us, to everyone around us. And let's be good followers. Amen.